Open your Bibles this morning back to the book of Ecclesiastes, and before we dive into the scriptures this morning, I would like to uh, uh, address something, talk about something that I think is uh, meaningful to all of us right now. If there's something that I have sensed, not just in our congregation, but in our society, uh, I think we are filled with a level of fatigue I hear more people talk right now about just being tired of the pandemic, tired of masks, tired of uncertainty related to schools, tired of work situations that are in upheaval. If there's anything I think that um, I feel right now, and maybe I feel with you, it's that we all feel tired of just the uncertainty of it all and just tired of what we're just kind of going through. And, you know, I'm reminded of the words of our Lord because he's well aware of situations where we may feel a level of fatigue and a level of, well, being tired. He says this, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Because when you come to me, he says, I am uh, gentle and humble in soul. He says, when you come to me, I will give you a burden that is easy and a yoke that is light. And I think we all need to not just hear those words, but practice those words today of coming to the Lord and saying, hey, I have a level of fatigue with me, and I want you to work in me. I want you to deposit something in me that I can't give to myself right now, which is, again, a level of your power, a level of your love to keep going in the midst of this. So would you join me in prayer this morning? I would like for all of us just to, as an act of faith, come to the Lord this morning with that level of fatigue. Lord, we come to you this morning and we're coming now upon two years of uh, this pandemic and all the effects of it and we're tired. Lord, there's some days where we just don't feel like we could move forward at all. And we're coming to you, Lord, and just confessing that. We're leaving that fatigue at your at the foot of your cross, that we're leaving that fatigue with you, we are embracing that you say you're the kind of Savior that's gentle. You're the kind of Savior that has a very uh, easy burden, you say. It's one that's not beyond what we can take. And we are asking today, Lord, that with your guidance, with your help, we would be individuals who would continue in love. We would continue to be gentle with others around us. We would continue to demonstrate that you live within us because you do. So Lord, we just come to you in this simple act of faith this morning and we say, take us and take all the brokenness in us. Make something new of us and let us keep marching this journey of faith to your glory and to your honor. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Thank you for doing that with me. I think that's important that we take some time just to uh, actually express how we are and to express how the Lord is and to live in light of that. Well, I began a brand new sermon series last week. It's called Chasing the Wind and it's ancient wisdom from the uh, writer Solomon is who I believe wrote the book and it's the book of Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. Uh, Time for a little review. And uh, last week I said that there was one word in this book that is of extreme importance. And I've got that word up here for you. It's Hevel. Say that with me again. One, two, three. Hevel. That's the word I kind of want to stick with you because he uses that word numerous times in the book. 
And if you're reading along in the scriptures this morning, you're going to notice that the translators have either translated that as meaningless or they have translated that as um, a vanity. Meaningless or vanity. And last week I said, I don't think either one of those words captures exactly what the writer means by that. And so you get a star tonight or this morning if you can say what the translation I prefer is of that word. One, two, three, it is? Yes, good job. I'm handing out the gold stars. Here they are. Good job with that. Vapor is what I think is the better translation of Havel. I had somebody this week say, how does it feel, Pastor, that you uh, actually believe the translators maybe got this one wrong? And I'm like, gulp? I don't know. I'm not sure about that. Um, but I will say this. The fact that translators struggle over it and have translated it using two different words means that it's really tough to get our arms around. This is a tough word to make sure that we're understanding. And just to be clear, again, when Havel is used in other places, it does mean either a wisp or a puff of smoke or a vapor. So that's the idea of this word. And they're trying to convey the fleeting nature of life. They're trying to say life is very difficult to attain or contain. It's very difficult to catch it or hold on to it. And so again, life has this vaporous aspect to it and that's what they're trying to convey with this. That's what Solomon is trying to convey with this. So let's remember, Solomon said to us last week, he said, I'm taking all of the wisdom that I've gained and Solomon is known to be one of the wisest men who ever lived. I'm taking all this wisdom I've ever learned. I'm going and living out all these aspects of life and now I'm going to report back to you about what I've learned about Havel, about uh, all of life being a, a vaporous in this way. And so again, this week we are picking up a decidedly uh, a topic that's important to all of us. And in coming weeks we're going to have other topics as he explores all of life. That's a pretty big, uh, tall order. But this week uh, he's going to be studying or reporting to us on pleasure. Most Americans are richer today than most people throughout all of history. What we considered normal in our lives would be sheer luxury for most people that were pre-moderns. I have just three examples of that. If you ever wonder how wealthy you really are, three examples of your wealth. One of them is water at your fingertips. To be able to go to a faucet and turn water on and have it immediately is beyond the comprehension of most people who are pre-moderns. Uh, this one may be a little graphic, but it's modern sanitation. The ability for waste to be removed from your house and go and be processed somewhere out of your sight is again something that is wow. People in the pre-modern world would have given their eye teeth for something like that. And then the third one is transportation. To be able to move around, move from point A to point B relatively easily on paved roads or in airplanes, buses, all the rest, that is just, that is something that's just wealthy beyond belief. And so with our wealth, the fact that we as Americans have that level of wealth, we have our sights set on things that the pre-modern world wouldn't have set their sights on. The pre-modern world decidedly was trying to survive, all right? They were going to try to work and just try to keep everything in order, and we have a level of freedom that they don't have. We like to seek things that are pleasurable. 
And Solomon says, I pursued many things that previous generations thought was pleasurable and I want to report to you on what I found out about those things. So with that idea again of pursuing things that are pleasurable, let's go ahead and read Ecclesiastes chapter 2 starting in verse 1. Listen to what Solomon says about this. I said to my heart, come now I will test you with, there it is, pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vapor. This also was vanity. I said of laughter, it's mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under, uh, under the heaven during the days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem, also my wisdom remained with me and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure for my heart found pleasure in all my toil and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all these, all that my hands had done and the toil I had expanded in doing and behold, all was, there it is again, vapor and a striving after the wind and there was nothing to be gained under the Son. Have you ever asked yourself, what could I do to make myself happy? What could I do in life that would just make myself happy? That's, by the way, it's very important to us because that's one of the things we always ask our children, you know, did you have fun today? And there's nothing more important to me, some parents would say, than your happiness, as long as you're happy. And so this idea of pleasure in life is very important to us. And it was important for Solomon also to explore the purpose of pleasure as it were what pleasure really does in our lives and again in verses 1 and 10 he points out to us exactly what he was trying to do he said in my heart I said come now I will test you with pleasure enjoy yourself and here in verse 10 and whatever my eyes desired I did not keep from them I kept my heart from no pleasure so I didn't deny myself anything that I might do that would be pleasurable most of us most of you would say wow I would love to try that experiment and I love to try that experiment, especially with the resources of King Solomon. Imagine no budget. I mean, basically, do whatever you want to do. That was Solomon. Now, I want to put a little constraint on that, however, because the scriptures are very clear in that Solomon, well, he didn't go off the rails. Solomon says there's a couple of other things that were happening that I just didn't turn this into a massive party weekend. There was something I was doing in the middle of this using my wisdom to learn about pleasure. And here's what he says, verses three and nine. He says, my heart was still guiding me with wisdom 
and also my wisdom remained within me. So what is he trying to convey to us here? He's saying, I was pretty clinical on the way I went about this. I went about seeking pleasure, not just, you know, giving myself all into this in order that I might go off in ruin, but I used it as an experiment. The whole time I was asking myself the question, what good is this doing me? What benefit is this giving me? Is this really bringing fulfillment into my life? And so he was going into this the whole time asking those operative questions about the different aspects of pleasure that he was pursuing. He has four main areas that, well, he's got several others, but four main areas I want to bring to your attention today because I think they're germane to all of us. Four areas of pleasure that he pursued and he said, I want to report back to you about those four areas. All right, let's cover them in order the way he covers them in the passage. The first one is laughter. Solomon pursues a life of laughter. They say that laughter is medicine for the soul, and that's true. Denise and I have discovered over the years many things that make us laugh, and oftentimes it's just things of daily life, and it's things that, uh, well, they have a little twist to them somehow that just make them fun. Children oftentimes are some of the things that make the most fun for us, the most, most laughter for us. And I love when children somehow kind of misunderstand some aspect of the Bible. That's always good for me. There was a child who said, Lot's wife was a pillar of salt by day and a ball of fire by night. You know, it's like they're mixing a few metaphors there, but we get the idea. How about this one? Then Joshua led the Israelites in the battle of Geritol. You know, That's awesome. I like this one. Solomon had 300 wives and 700 porcupines. (laughs) You know, to a kid, that just sounds right, doesn't it? We're going to come back to that one in a minute. That one's going to make sense to us today. And we're going to come back to that one in just a minute. But Solomon Solomon pursued laughter in a very uh, systematic fashion. Part of his laughter was experiencing perhaps comedy or even entertainment around him. Solomon, again, has got a lot of resources, so you and I might go to Comedy Central or we might watch reruns of Friends or reruns of Seinfeld or whatever your favorite comedy show is, and so we would get a level of diversion from that. Believe me, Solomon is wealthy enough. He doesn't watch that like in that way. It comes to him. He, he, he's the guy that says, I'm wealthy enough. I've just got the best singers and the best people that are actors. They're coming and they're in front of me. That, you know, that's the level of wealth that I have and the importance that I have. And so he has this regular diet of this comedy or laughter that is around him. Now, in addition to that, I believe that he also explores laughter from the side in which he's creating it. You know, it's the laughter that you create around you, the levity that you create around you. And again, you've all been around somebody who turns everything into a joke. It's laughter oftentimes with a little bit of an edge because sometimes it's at somebody else's expense. Uh, He's the one that is probably exploring what is the class clown. It's the person that brings levity to all situations. But oftentimes the class clown, well, they wear out their welcome because Uh, When you're constantly in that mode, uh, it's really a diversion from the reality of life. Now, before we come down on Solomon and we come down on what he's doing, we know that laughter really can be very beneficial in our lives. 
But Solomon says, I want to take this to the nth degree. I want it to be the chief end of my life. I want it to be everything I place all of my importance upon in this idea of just creating everything to be laughter. And he says, you know what? That didn't work. You know, I think oftentimes about couples who talk about uh, something they really like about their partner, uh, whether they're married or maybe they're just even dating, and some woman might giggle and say, oh, he just makes me laugh. And I'm always like, hmm, is that the glue that you think is keeping this whole thing together? Because I think you're going to need a little bit more than that. And so again, if, if laughter is, again, everything that you're basing the relationships upon around you, mm, you're going to find out that that's got some real problems. And so Solomon's verdict is in verse 2. I said of laughter, <laughs> it's mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? By mad, he doesn't mean that it's insane. He just means it's foolish. He, it, it didn't produce what he hoped that it would produce. Solomon's not saying don't ever laugh. That's not the message. If you're hearing that, then you're hearing him wrong. He's not saying don't laugh. He's just saying laughter, if it's uh, the chief end of everything, of merriment, of just being, you know, just kind of fleeting around with this laughter all the time, is your idea of life, that's vaporous. It's not going to work as the chief end of life. In the end, he says, it's all, laughter is all Havel. All right, let's move on to the second one. The second experiment of pleasure is with wine. He says this, I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. And so he says, I'm going to drink and I'm going to see the effect upon me and see whether or not that aspect of pleasure is worthwhile to me. Most studies during the pandemic have said that the consumption of alcohol is way, way up. I guess seclusion will do that to you. I guess that uh, uncertainty will do that to you. I guess that kids will do that to you. I mean, all of those things. And so again, we probably have a, a, a lot of drinking going on. But this was the real surprise to me because uh, I, I don't know, I didn't see this one coming. This, the, the sales of alcohol that is the highest right now is hard alcohol. So whiskey, rum, vodka, those kinds of things, those are the ones that are reporting the record sales right now. In fact, some of them up more than 300% from pre-pandemic levels. So it seems as though, again, hard alcohol, which, you know, again, is much uh, easier if you're trying to get drunk. I mean, that's kind of the way to do it. And those are the sales of those things are way up. Solomon said, okay, I'm going to explore this. And Solomon, believe me, he had the resources to throw a party, all right? He, he was not short of supply of making sure that everybody that came to his parties had plenty to drink. 1 Kings 4, starting in verse 20, tells us the story. In fact, I want to read that for you. It says, The people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They ate, they drank, and they were happy. So under Solomon's reign, everybody seemed to have plenty and they were making sure that they ate, they drank, and, and that they were happy. But in verse 22, it tells us what the daily uh, menu was for Solomon's whole court. Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 fat oxen, 20 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep, besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fatted fowl. That is the menu for one day in the palace. Can you believe that? 
I'm telling you, he is here to have a massive ability to throw a great party. And you know, again, everybody who's coming to his parties, they're, they're gonna be supplied with a lot. He even had vineyards that he grew at his own hand. And so again, he has plenty of varieties of wine that everybody's uh, planning and, and enjoying. And here's the verdict. He said, a life that's filled just for the weekend is vapor. A life filled just for the next drink or to experiment with the next kind of drink, that ends up being an empty one because ultimately, drinking wine or whatever it is you drink doesn't have the ability to bring you ultimate satisfaction or fulfillment. Now, one clarification here. I want to make this and be very clear about it. The scriptures at no time say that drinking alcohol is forbidden Now, what is forbidden for Christians is to be drunk. We are called not to be drunk, and specifically in Ephesians, don't be drunk with wine, it even says. But we are called not to be drunk. It's it's not called to be something forbidden that we cannot do. We do it with a level of of, uh, uh, caution, as it were. I mean, if there's some individuals around us that perhaps that's a stumbling block to, then we say, hey, that's something I can pass on. But we have the freedom to be able to drink wine or other things. It's just that we want to make sure that it is not becoming a stumbling block to to us or to somebody else around us. And if we're seeking for it to be really the satisfaction of my life, that's where it becomes a problem. And it just doesn't have the capacity to do that for us. In pursuing pleasure by drinking wine, Solomon said, that is Hevel. That is vapor. Number three, uh, the third one in the list of his things that he explores is found in verse four, and I'm gonna call it houses, gardens, and parks because he says this, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself, and he describes all of this in the sense of saying, I sought pleasure by building my empire. I sought uh, pleasure by using my resources to expand everything around me. And so he built houses, vineyards, gardens, pools, parks. And Solomon had the money to do that on a very lavish scale. In order to understand some of Solomon's ability to build, I want you to consider this one fact. In the scriptures, it tells us that Solomon took seven years to build the temple. A temple, pretty big structure, right? I mean, that's the center of worship for all of Israel. Some of you know the answer to this, but it took Solomon this many years, seven years to build the temple, this many years to build his palace. Some of you know how much it was. How much was it? 14 years. Seven years to build the uh, temple, 14 years to build his own palace. And so again, he is, he is taking a lot of energy to make sure and build everything around him with just this lavishness. Some even say that Solomon was attempting to recreate Eden. So he's saying the Garden of Eden is this idyllic place. I want to recreate that through my own hand. And so again, he's got all of these parks that he's putting together and all these fruit trees and orchards and vineyards and you can just see the lavishness of everything he's putting together. I found out this week there's something I would like to see the next time I go to Israel. It's a little bit obscure. Most people never go to see it, but I've got a picture of it here. And there are these pools that are outside of Jerusalem a ways and there's a series of them and they're kind of built almost like a dam with a little, you know, lockstep. They feed into one another. 
And these are said to be the pools of Solomon and they simply contained the water that he needed to keep all of his orchards and parks lush. So he builds an entire structure around water that's needed to be delivered to the city in order to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. I don't know, that should give us an idea of the grandeur of the scale of his building. There's a common pursuit for those who perhaps have a lot and it's um, maybe to expand their estate with the idea of, again, bringing that some form of happiness. Let me give you an example. In 1884, a wealthy widow named Sarah Winchester began a construction project of such magnitude that it would occupy the lives of carpenters and craftsmen really for their entire careers. She uh, died uh, 38 years after starting this whole project. It was a Victorian mansion designed by the Winchester rifle heiress. So that's where she got her fortune was from the Winchester uh, gun manufacturing. And it filled so many oddities that the uh, location ended up being called the Winchester Mystery House. It's in San Jose, California. It's available for tours. Raise your hand if you've ever been on the Winchester tour. More than I expected. All right. We'll have to get a little uh, report from you after the service. I would like to know a little bit, a little bit, little time out. No. Dean, what was that? Oh, yes, you read my mind. I was going to mention that. Dean said there is a stairwell that leads to nowhere. Let me tell you what the brochure says. Winchester, Sarah Winchester built a home that is an architectural marvel. Unlike most homes of its era, this 160-room Victorian mansion had modern heating and sewer systems, gas lights that operated by press of a button, three working elevators, and 47 fireplaces. From rambling roofs and exquisite inlaid parquet floors to gold and silver chandeliers, Tiffany art glass windows, and you'll be impressed by the staggering amount of creativity, energy, and expense poured into every inch of detail. And again, I'm told, Dean uh, witnessed this, some, some of you went on the tour, also saw this. She ended up being so extravagant after 38 years that she had some stairwells that were actually just leading to nowhere because her, her, her building prowess just, you know, just went on steroids and kind of went, went over the edge. What did all of that yield? Building to bring satisfaction. The tendency, again, especially to pursue it with lakes and ponds and orchards and stairwells that lead to nowhere. Well, it, what did it yield? Uh, it didn't yield a great deal uh, to, to Solomon. Solomon says, you know what? I went through all that building. I went to seek that as the fulfillment of my legacy and I left disappointed. Solomon did this on a grand scale. And uh, again, most of us would be on a much smaller scale than what he did, but he said, all those houses, all those gardens were mere vapor. And again, let's right-size this. Is God saying, Brian, that garden you have out there, it's akin to Sodom and Gomorrah. No, 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 he's not, he's not saying that. You, you're thinking about a, a kitchen uh, addition or you're thinking about a bathroom remodel. You know, oh, that's forbidden. No, he's not saying that. He's not telling us that all those things are off-limits. If we're trying to seek all of that to say, oh, I hope that fills my heart, that's where you're gonna run into trouble. It's not the ultimate of all ultimates. Maybe it's very something very needed in your home. Maybe it's something that you'll really enjoy in your home. That's okay. But if you're just building for the sake of building and you're building for the addition of you know, your own legacy or your own estate in some way, that's gonna end up being a dead end for you and for me. There's the fourth one I want to bring to your attention. It's a bit racy, 
and he explored the pleasure of music and women. Verse 8, I got singers, both men and women, and many porcupines. So, you know, again, I, I had a lot of those. <laughs> music was a rare pleasure in the ancient world. There's no recorded music. If you were going to experience music, it was all live right in front of you. Or maybe you had to sing yourself. Again, that was the way that music was done. There's no such thing as Spotify. There's no such thing as Pandora. You couldn't have any of that. And so it had to be experienced from a very live dimension. But Solomon, again, had all of these resources, and so he could afford to bring the best acts to him. He could afford to bring choirs to him that would sing in angelic tones. And so he had all of that at his disposal. The other thing he had at his disposal and you might imagine there were a lot of people at the palace every night. I'd want to be there, right? With all the menu that you saw up there and the idea of, again, just party atmosphere where there's just the flowing of everybody kind of being in the center of all the power that's in Jerusalem at that time. It's also told to us that he has a harem of women. And Solomon says that he had, you know, again, many concubines. The statistics in 1 Kings 11 give us exactly what was happening there. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. And the scriptures are not bashful about saying that, you know, Solomon knew most of those women, if you know what I mean. Solomon knew them. And so again, Solomon is in this spot of saying, I had the ability to have all of the best music a man could ever imagine wanting. And I had, well, all of these erotic things that were happening around me that more than any of us could imagine or maybe even want to imagine. And he says, all of that ended up being like vapor. It, it ended up not fulfilling me. And again, I don't want to be a reductionist. Music is not off limits here. He's not saying music's a bad thing. God loves music. I mean, music is a key part of the way that we worship God. He says, I love that when you sing to me. And, and he's not being down on intimacy, especially, you know, again, sexual intimacy between a man and a woman within the bond of, 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 of their commitment to each other. You know, that's a beautiful thing. In fact, the scriptures even say that there's something that's happening in the midst of that that's, that, that's similar to, again, the nature of God himself. And so, again, we're not down on that as Christians, but we're down on the fact that any of that, whether it's music or, in this case, intimacy, I'm calling it women here just because, again, the scriptures do, but all of that, again, if it's by itself, if it's in isolation, it's never going to bring us the satisfaction that we really want. Uh, again, Solomon argues, that's Havel, that's vapor. We're called to partake in Solomon's wisdom, and indeed, this is why it's given to us. Wisdom is given to us so that it can be saying to us, I know you haven't lived this yet, or you might imagine what it's like to live this, but I'm gonna give you wisdom so you know what that's like, whether you've done that or not. And so Solomon is saying, won't you, you know, let me teach you in this way about, in this case, pleasure. And in the coming weeks, he's gonna teach us about other aspects of life. And again, if you're a really black and white person here today, you might be very quick to put some labels on what Solomon says, and you might be tempted to say, all pleasure, it's bad. You know, don't, don't seek any kind of pleasure at all. That's not what Solomon's saying. You're missing it, if that's what you think he's saying. He's not saying that at all. All laughing, bad, don't laugh very much. Uh, drinking, really bad, stay away from that. A new home, uh, questionable, I don't know. Rock concerts, oh my gosh, things of the devil. Stay away all the way. 
If you're quick to label things like that, you're not listening carefully to Solomon because that's not what Solomon is saying. Solomon is saying this, none of those things, none of those activities are big enough to fill my heart. None of those things are out of bounds, but they're just not big enough to bring the satisfaction that I hoped they would bring. And he comes to us and says, I'm hoping this is valuable for you and I'm hoping you're taking heed to this because that's learning from wisdom and letting it be your own. If you're learning about this in order that you might not make some of the same mistakes that he, uh, you know, again, reportedly is telling us that he made. He's, we're learning from him. And so again, I'm hoping that it's not too late for you. And uh, as an example of somebody that I think it was too late for, I want to close today by bringing to your attention Ernest Hemingway. Ernest Hemingway was born in uh, 1899. He was the consummate 20th century man, rugged, independent, adventurous. He tried it all. And of course, he is the acclaimed writer of many books. Two of the most popular of his is The Old Man in the Sea and A Farewell to Arms. And uh, his popularity went way beyond his mere writing. I've got a picture here of Ernest Hemingway in one of his adventures uh, in the ocean and obviously uh, uh, fishing for marlin. I've got another one here where he's hunting in Africa and a final one here where he's with some friends, obviously just kind of uh, obviously having some fun. Let me leave that picture up with you as I tell you more about him. At 25 years old, he sipped champagne in Paris and later, he led well-publicized game hunts in both Africa. He hunted grizzly bears in Idaho. He had decades of doing all kinds of exotic things. And Americans followed the adventures of Ernest Hemingway. They went everywhere with him as he went on these adventures. And it was like it was their own. At the age of 61, having had all of the wine, all of the women, all of the song, a distinguished literary career, Sunday bullfights in Spain, Hemingway chose to take his own life. And in the note that he left, he said this, life is one darn thing after another, only he didn't use the word darn. If someone could have reached out to Hemingway and said, Ernest, don't you see? All these things that you're pursuing, they're, they're never gonna fill you up. Your heart, it's longing for something more. There's this God-shaped vacuum on the inside of you. If you'd taste and see, you'd find out that the Lord really is good. And Ernest, you've sought all of these experiences, all of these adventures, and none of them were ever big enough to fulfill you. All of them will end up being vapor. All of them will end up being Havel. Friends, that's what God wants us to see today. Pleasure is a very good thing. It's something that we can take from the hand of God and enjoy. But when it's in its isolation, it's not enough for us because he's the only one that is enough for us. Pleasure all by itself is the chief end of life will always result in the same outcome. It will be vapor. It will be Hevel. Let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you again that Solomon has written about so many things in life that we care about. And certainly pleasure is one of those things we care a lot about. And you're not down on that, but you're down on that if it ends up being our chief aim. And Solomon says there's lots of ways that failed. I I, I sought for that to be the thing that really satisfied, but it just couldn't, and it didn't. And Lord, I'm asking that you would help to right-size all of our thinking around life. Um, It's not wrong for me to build onto my home, but it's not going to bring me perhaps my ultimate satisfaction. Not wrong for me to take a vacation. That's a good thing to do. But if I only live for my next vacation, that's not enough. Any sport I might do that I think has life to it, it's going to end up vaporous. Lord, I, I just think about all these things that we want to tie to pleasure. Maybe it's a, a movie or a TV in some way or the internet. It's not big enough. We come to you, Lord, and we know that we're made in your image. We're tied to you, and you're what we need. So, Lord, we uh, confess our need of you today. And confess our wandering hearts at times, too, and ask you to... Uh, Square us back up today with the power of your Holy Spirit. Let us have a vision for what's right in your eyes. We seek to honor you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.